Christianity is for, for weak people, for broken people, for people who just can't cope with life. It's certainly not for those who can stand on their own two feet, is it? That's been a popular thought ever since Sigmund Freud, in his book The Future of an Illusion, described Christianity as a psychological crutch. In that book, he proposed that the Christian idea of God as Father is an imaginary support, a projection of our need for parents. So even when we're grown up, we still feel a need for care, for for comfort and for protection. And subconsciously, we project our need for those things on our Heavenly Father in the sky. So Christianity, according to Freud, is a wish fulfilment. It's a, a hangover from childhood dependency. Christianity then, in Freud's thinking, is only for the weak and the gullible, and he, he would say that it's escapist. So tonight we're asking, uh, is Christianity wishful thinking? Is it a, a psychological crutch? I thought I'd bring some um, uh, visual aids along with me today. Um, uh, somebody asked me on the way down if I had a problem walking. I said, no, it's for the sermon. Somebody else, as I walked in, said, ah, a miracle, you've thrown away the crutches. So anyway, there we are. I suppose we could sort of chuck them out and that would look quite good. But uh, no, just as a visual aid. Um, you see, in order to ask this question, is Christianity um, a psychological crutch, um, a friend of mine suggests there are three ways of defining a crutch. I've never ever wanted to bother to define a crutch, but he has. And he said a crutch is an artificial means of support. You'll see the three things on the, on the outline. Uh, you only need a crutch if there's something wrong with you. And thirdly, a crutch is something that makes life a little easier in the short term. The sooner you can get rid of the crutches and use your own legs, the better. Well then, look at... Now that's just dropped behind me now. I knew I shouldn't have bothered bringing them. Well, look, uh, let's look at the first thing. A crutch is an artificial means of support. Turn with me to John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, page 1090, 1090, as we begin to look at this question. And the first of these things is a crutch is an artificial means of support. So is that what Christianity is? John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now each week in this series I've tried to give us one big word to take note of and hopefully to take away and to understand a bit better. Now, a big word this week is the word faith. Is faith just a psychological crutch? Uh, A big word for this week is faith. Four years ago, on an aeroplane on my way to Belfast, an American undergraduate sat next to me, and we got talking. He told me that he was visiting a friend, and he asked me if I lived in Belfast. No, I said. I'm off to speak at a Christian convention. I'm a minister in the Church of England, And I'm giving a few talks from the Bible at an event just north of Belfast. And I thought that would be the end of the conversation. Usually when I say I'm a vicar, no one wants to talk to me ever again. Uh, But to my surprise, he wanted to know more. And he wanted to know more about Christianity. He asked if I'd always been religious, how I'd came to be a minister, and then what I believed. And if I remember rightly, it was just after the steward had given us our plastic cups and a small metallic pack of peanuts um, that the American student announced that... uh, I wish I had your faith. And I said, you can. And he said, I'm not the religious type. And as we talked further, it became clear to me that for him, 
Faith was something that was sort of in me. That in some way I had a natural propensity to believe unquestioningly. He thought that my faith was about me being the sort of person who could muster up enough belief inside me to believe the unbelievable. And that is the way most people think about faith, isn't it? To many people, and sadly, even many Christians too, faith is, well, it's a bit slippery, it's insubstantial, it's ethereal, it's rather flimsy, it's kind of out there or in here. Not anything you can really get your hands on though. But look closely at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. See verse 30, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, the word believe here could just as accurately be translated have faith or or even better, trust. And so John is saying faith, trust, belief is based on fact. John is saying here, I've written these things so that you can have faith, so that you can put your trust in Jesus Christ. John says faith is not some airy-fairy wishful thinking Faith is based on facts. And he says, here are the facts written down so that you, if you have the mind to, can check them out so that you can, if you want to, decide to trust them. Now, now Christian, will you please take note here because I hear so many Christians use this word faith so loosely that I'm losing confidence that anyone believes the word faith the way the Bible uses it. I've heard Christian speakers say that faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. It's just a clever way, but it's not really very helpful. If faith is believing something that's very uncertain, it's a big risk. And John is saying the opposite. Faith is based on facts. Facts are so, that are so solid and so certain that there is no risk. It is entirely reasonable to believe. You don't have to be stupid. You don't have to throw your mind away. I hear well-meaning Christians in business meet, Christian business meetings talking about making a decision in faith. I know what they mean. They say, well, let's go forward in faith, they say, meaning we don't have the money, but let's spend the money anyway and trust that God will provide. Have you heard that kind of language? Now, look, don't mishear me. I'm not against the church spending money they don't have. It can be a very healthy thing to do. It makes us trust in the Lord. If we're sure the Lord is leading us to do something, then we should do it, and the Lord will provide. I believe in that kind of approach to life but my point is that's not the way the Bible uses the word faith and if we use it that way you know let's just have faith in other words it just seems a bit cavalier then when we then ask people to have faith they say have faith in what? faith in nothing? by far the worst worst use of this word faith is when Christians use it in evangelism you know how it goes Uh, an unbeliever asks a good question a searching question about Christianity and then the unthinking Christian says, making no attempt to engage with the question, says, that's just where you have to have faith. That is such an unhelpful response. It is a complete cop-out. And if you're an unbeliever here and you've asked a good question and in the past a Christian has said to you, that's just where you've got to have faith, can I apologise on behalf of that Christian and all the others who've ever done it to you in the past and all the others that will ever do it to you in the future? It's probably not my right to do that, but I'd like to because that is not the way the Bible uses the word faith. Faith in the Bible is trust. Trusting, notice in verse 30 and 31, not the things we don't know, 
but the things we do know. That's very important. Faith is not trusting in the things we don't know. It's not, that's where you've just got to have faith. But trusting in the things that you do know. The Bible doesn't expect me to put my faith in something I don't know. So John expects me to trust the facts as laid out in the Bible. Do you see? It's exactly the opposite the way most people use the words these days. And here John concludes his gospel saying, I've written all this stuff so that you'd know what really happened, so that you'd be able to check it out for yourself and so that you'd be able to make an informed decision about Jesus. So is the Christian faith a psychological crutch? Well, is it an artificial means of support? No. It's not artificial, it's true. That's the claim anyway. Now, you may not believe that if you're here as an unbeliever, You may not believe that, but that's what Christians believe. We believe it's true, based on a real person who really lived in a real place 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to. Who do you think Jesus is? Now turn with me, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, page 1039. Page 1039. Luke chapter 9 and verses 18 to 20. And for the rest of this uh, talk, we're going to basically stay in Luke 9. Luke 9 verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? You see, people were asking questions about Jesus and is it any wonder He was doing the most remarkable things. Read through Luke's Gospel up to this point. You'll see that the crowds have seen him heal people, drive out evil spirits, even raise the dead. They'd heard him preach the most amazing sermon that has ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount. They were astonished at his teaching. It was remarkable. When he spoke, it made sense of life. It cut through all the confusion. So everyone was talking about him. And Jesus asked his disciples, verse 18, who do do people say I am? And they replied, verse 19, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. See, it's obvious, people knew that Jesus was something special. There was no question about that. Who he was, people weren't sure, but they knew he was something special. Some thought he was a prophet, others thought he was a great man from the past, who'd been resurrected from the dead in some way. But then Jesus asked the million dollar question, verse 20, what about you? Who do you say I am? Now that's the question that every one of us should ask at some point in our lives. Look, I know this is a stressful time for a significant number of people here this evening. Uh, Exams are looming. GSEs and A-levels are uh, on the the doorstep. Some of you already started your A-levels. GSEs starting tomorrow for some people. Students just uh, finishing off your end of year exams as well, some of you, although most of you I think have finished already. And so over the next weeks, some of you will be asking some very, or answering some very important questions. You'll feel that your answers will affect the rest of your life. I remember when I was taking my, um, my O-levels as they were then. Yes, I'm that old. O-levels, you don't know what they are, do you, many of you? O-levels. And as I was taking my O-levels, uh, people were saying to me, if you don't do well in your O-levels then you have no future ahead of you. That was the pressure that was put on you. Well, I didn't do well in my O-levels and and they were right. Um, So (laughs) make sure sure you work hard. Now, the pressure's on and I haven't helped that at all tonight. You probably have just got your mind off the exams and I put it back on. Let me tell you, there's not a more important question in life than this one in verse 20. 
That is not to say, in case there's any parents here, I'm not saying to the, uh, uh, to the A-level and O-level uh, GCSE students not to work hard, okay? This is not an excuse that you don't have to answer any of the other questions. But there is no more important question than verse 20. Whatever age we are, actually, what will we make of Jesus? See, what we make of Jesus and what we do with Jesus will affect our future. Our future beyond the grave. See, in this exam, Peter had done his homework and he answered correctly, verse 20, Who do you say I am? The Christ of God. You are the Christ. Now, if that's true, then Christianity cannot be a a psychological crutch. Because Christianity is about Jesus, a real historical figure who claimed to be none other than God himself. Again, the question boils down to who do you think Jesus is? If that's true, if Jesus is the Christ, then this is not an artificial means of support. If it's true, that's the question. Not an artificial means of support, but the very reason for life itself. And in case you think, well, people just turn to Christianity because they need it, well, if you're saying it as much as we need to know what life is about, yeah. It addresses the most important question in the world, how can I know God? See, if he's there and he's created everything, there is nothing more important than knowing him. Now, it may be that you're here this evening and you're not sure that Jesus is God himself, as he claims. Well, thank you for coming. Four weeks ago we looked at the question of God's existence and you can get the CD from the church office after the service if you want to follow that up or you can download the talk from our website. Um, The talk was how do you know God exists? But for now, do you see the point? Christianity uh, is, is it an artificial means of support? Not if it's based on fact. And I would say to you, Christian, if somebody asks you tomorrow morning uh, or makes this point that Christianity is just a crutch, just take them to the historical facts to start off with and tell them the reason you believe it is because it's historically true, and go from there. Well, secondly, we see you only need a crutch if there's something wrong with you. So, is Christianity a a psychological crutch? I'm going to say, no, it isn't a psychological crutch, uh, but there is a great spiritual need. See, look at what Jesus says in verse 22. It says, "The, the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man being an expression that Jesus picks up from the Old Testament and that he uses for himself. It's probably his favourite expression for himself. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now do you see that little word must there? It's very important. The word must in the original means something like it's necessary for certain great ends. Jesus must suffer. He must be killed. Now, lots of people know that I meet know that Jesus died on a cross. But very few know why. Now, let me ask you gently tonight, if you're a guest here, do you know why Jesus had to die on a cross? Until you've understood that, you haven't understood Christianity. And here is Jesus saying that every man and woman and boy and girl who's ever lived has a need that only he can deal with, and he dealt with it on the cross. I said that to a a good friend of mine some years ago, his name's Steve, and and he said, I don't need Jesus, I can live without him. And of course the answer is, yes you can. You can live without Jesus now, but you won't live without him when you die. Jesus dealt with a need we all have, a need that lies in the future. Oh look, we, we live in a needy world, don't we? Just reading through the newspaper reminds you of that. I 
I had a nice day off on Friday. Um, the, the children were, were, were out with Caroline. They'd gone swimming. And uh, so I, I bought the newspaper and just sat down and read it for, for, for about two hours. Don't often get the chance to do that. It was great. But as I was reading through, I was just w- noting how needy our world is. We haven't looked after the environment, so we have a global warming problem. We haven't looked after each other, so we have a global poverty problem. We only look to ourselves, some of us, so we have a global terrorism problem. And so we could go on. Now, they are problems, and I don't want to minimise them, but let me say all these problems are just symptoms of a greater problem. That is that we don't look up to God, and so we have an eternal problem. And one day, you and I are going to come face to face with Almighty God, and we will stand before him as sinners who need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus came to deal with. That's what he's saying here, that he had to die, that he had to suffer. Is Christianity a psychological crutch? Not if it's true. Is it a crutch at all? No. In fact, Dave used a great expression in the vestry. I'm just trying to remember what it was. But he didn't just give us a crutch, he sent us a rescuer. There's something much greater than a crutch needed. It's not a crutch for a lame man. Christianity is a heart transplant for a dying man, a cure for spiritual cancer, if I can put it that way. We have a real need. And Christians acknowledge that. Oh, yes, we do. Well, you only need a crutch if there's something wrong with you. So, yep, in that sense, there's something wrong with us and we need Jesus. Thirdly, a crutch is something that makes life easier in the short term. Now, just look on to Jesus' words in verse 23. uh, And you decide, as I read these words out, if if this life makes life easier... Verse 23, Jesus said to them all, that is all those who were in the crowd with him, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See what he says? Jesus says, if anyone is going to follow me, he must be ready to die. That's what it means to take up your cross there in verse 23. And that's what happened to Christians down through the centuries. Consider the early early Christians, tortured and killed because they refused to worship the emperor Consider what is happening in Christians, to Christians around the globe in this uh, year, 2007. Uh, here's the Church of England newspaper this week and it reports that uh, Al-Qaeda has issued a death threat to Christian converts in Kurdistan. A statement from Al-Qaeda released on the internet on April the 22nd said, we are hunting those who have converted to Christianity as we consider them renegades and Allah's punishment must be implemented by killing them. Last month, three Christian men who worked in a Christian publishing house in Turkey were murdered, butchered, again, by Muslims. It is happening all over the globe. The symbol of Christianity is, uh, interestingly, not a crutch, but a cross. And Jesus said, verse 23, if anyone, anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross You see, read the New Testament, it becomes abundantly clear that following Jesus does not make life easier, 
it makes it harder. Let me uh, read to you again the second of our two readings uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse uh, 23. Paul says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Emotionally, he is wrung out as well. Is Christianity a psychological crutch? That is a question that could only be asked in the West in the 21st century. No one in Muslim countries thinks Christianity is a crutch. For many, Christianity is a death certificate. For those of us who live in Christian countries, we don't expect that sort of persecution. But I want to challenge us at the end of this talk now and to say if we were to stand up for Jesus and to make a stand for the things he stands for, then we would know that Christianity was not a psychological crutch. We would be living the sort of life that the Apostle Paul lived, suffering for our faith daily. You see, back in Luke 9, Jesus says in verse 24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. He asked the question, if you're going to follow me, are you prepared to lose your life for me? Most of us are not even prepared to lose our livelihoods for him. He calls for lives that are radical and different. At work. Look, I'm going to stick my neck out here. Let me address the GPs here. It is the 40th anniversary of the 1967 Abortion Act. After 40 years, I fear that as Christians, we have come to accept this barbaric evil. 40 years ago, Christians would have been campaigning fearlessly to be sure that that never went through. Let me ask you, Christian GP, how are you standing as a Christian on this issue? Some of you might say to me, but I can't deny people their right. If I do, I'll be in deep trouble. Jesus said, take up your cross Be prepared to die for me. Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Well, that's just one. You know, at work, wherever we are, we need to be ready to be accused of doing wrong. Denying self means denying career, denying the trappings that come with a successful job. Taking up your cross means being ready for a hard time, being ready to be disciplined, being ready to be overlooked for for promotion, being ready to be taken to court, doesn't it? How many of us are ready to lose our lives? Most of us are desperately trying to save our lives, keeping them safe and secure and wrapped up, not risking anything for Jesus, let alone risking everything for him. You see, Jesus said, verse 25, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? 
Too many Christians want to gain the whole world, want to be considered to be number one in their career, want to have a comfortable lifestyle, a big house, mod cons, nice holiday. We want leisure time. We want a long and enjoyable retirement. We want to gain the whole world, don't we? Jesus says to us, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? See, friends, if we live lives that were truly radical, Christianity would be hard and it would be seen to be hard. And no one would even suggest that it was a psychological crutch. If we were to live radical Christian lives, the world would see that it costs us, that it is tough, and that we were prepared to lose our lives. The world would not like us for living that way. They would still hate us, but be sure they wouldn't come up with any of this patronising nonsense that Christianity is a psychological crutch. And what's more, they'd look at us and they'd see a people who had something. A people who were alive, even as we were dying. A people who found ourselves, even as we denied ourselves. A people who discovered life itself by taking up our cross daily. For Jesus says, whoever loses his life for me will save it. Is Christianity a psychological crutch? If we go from here and live this radical lifestyle, we will prove that it isn't. Let's pray together.